0: The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's gonna pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Well, it's too soon to call it, folks, but I'm getting to the point where I don't recognize my country. In the spring, the Republicans in Lehigh County threw Pennsylvania Senator Pat Brown, a 28 year veteran of the legislature, and in my opinion, the best legislator to represent this area in my 40 years. He gets thrown out of office. The guy who beat him, Jarrett Coleman, really no political background, ran an ad yesterday or on election day saying that he wanted to get rid of pensions for his colleagues and pay raises. I mean, everything that you know, makes being in the legislature workable from a budget perspective. And I can't imagine how he thinks that he's going to convince all these people to give up their families' pay and their pensions and their benefits and everything. Um, And then you got, you know, if the GOP takes control of the House and can set that agenda, yikes. Three words, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Donald Trump was at the center of an attempted coup d'etat with his own private militia. I'm not sure if it had any effect on this election. Who knows what other crazy developments will emerge as the results of this election find their way into the news. We're recording this show about 15 hours after the polls closed, and there's still going to be news coming out for the next several days. But a a substantial number of voters went to the polls believing that wacky former president of theirs was a victim of a brilliant mass movement to steal the election by Democrats who were able to fool the entire court system. If the election goes their way, are they going to publicly claim that their election was bogus because it's riddled with fraud? Are they going to actually accept the the results if they get to be the winners? Since too many voters appear to think, think that a murderous mob of rednecks armed with all kinds of weapons attacking Congress is such a bad thing. Obviously, they don't have much respect for the democracy. Well, I come armed, too. This month's Jennings Report is armed with Chris Bork, Muhlenberg College political scientist and a man who runs the polling the college does for the morning call. Chris, welcome.
1: Hey, thank you for having me back, Alan. It's great to see you.
0: Chris, I think you may, you and Susan Wild and Bob Casey, I think are, Running neck and neck for the most appearances on my show. <laughs> That's a
1: good I good thing. I don't know
0: thing. what it says, but we're, I'm glad to have you. So, what the Sam Hill is going on here? <laughs> it's just a crazy.
1: It is, Alan. It's it's um, as you as you kind of framed it for the listeners today. It's these are uh, different times. There's different challenges. But I'm going to take a little bit of a counter response when I look at the election results. And as you noted, it's still early, and and the whole picture is not complete at this point. The the people that we might refer to as extreme in American politics didn't have the best night, nationally and certainly in Pennsylvania. I'll look, you know, focus first on that governor's race, and governor's races are, are key for, for everything that's going to happen in the Commonwealth. And you have about a 14-point margin in a race in a cycle that historically benefits the out party. So this this cycle is a cycle that Republicans had some wind at their back, and they took the wind out of their sails by their own choices. In that Republican primary, where Doug Mastriano, a full-blown, you know, acolyte of former President Trump, part of his broader MAGA movement, got the nomination, and the Democrats with what I would describe as their eight team uh, best choice in a very middle of the road successful person uh, in uh, attorney General Josh Shapiro it raised the question you know even in a good cycle historically doesn't guarantee you anything and we see that and we said there's other examples I'm just picking on that example and so some of the folks that that you describe as, as kind of on this this fringe some of them had success Marjorie Taylor green's going to be back in in Congress but a lot of other candidates of that ilk failed last night and so in some ways it was another um, test if you will of American democracy
0: yeah you know, you're this kind of upbeat happy kind of guy you know <laughs> sorry I mean, upbeat That's... happiness cannot possibly overcome my anger and 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the world is the world is curiouser and curiouser. it's a mad 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 world and I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, all all kind of wrapped up in one from my perspective. Is there any historic precedent where this kind of division in the country and all of the things that are coming with it, you know, worked itself out and, and things came out okay? I mean, I can't think of anything.
1: Well, it, it's a good question. And there's particulars and nuances of this inflection point in American life that that make it different and maybe more challenging and, and harder to imagine a path out. But, Alan, you're, a, a, as I am, I mean, the same age, age group cohort, you know, we have enough knowledge of the 60s, right, and yeah. the feelings of the late 60s that's and right, early 70s. Divided, huh? And the country was extremely—I remember us in as an undergrad, I took a class on the 60s, and it was about coming apart, right? The country coming apart. Yeah. Literally, those terms were used to describe the, the era. Um, and we didn't, right? We didn't. Now, it's different, and I could uh, we could layer all the, like I said, the nuances of an, a social media age— a uh, conspiracy-laden uh, period where they we moved. There's a lot of things that make this different, but largely we've we've had tough uh, periods. You go back to the 1920s, for example. You think of, we kind of think of the Roaring Twenties. Some of the conflicts there that were brewing in American life were were, were a fascinating. Point.
0: Even at the turn of the century. Now that I think of it with the bull moose and progressives and and all that. No, that's okay. Well, you make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> You're listening to the Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. My guest this evening is my friend, Chris Borick, who is uh, much better looking than he seemed on WFMZ last night. I don't know what they did to you, man. If you, it was almost like the equivalent of like the bunny ears, you know, be, ra- <laughs> rabbit ears. I'll have,
1: to, I'll have to get some better <laughs> much makeup. Much better looking than Better that. makeup <laughs> next time.
0: For, for years, pollsters have been under some scrutiny because polling numbers were so far off from what actually occurred. Um, I haven't heard or read a single complaint this time. Um, did your people do something different?
1: Why, is, why are you okay this, this it's, time? It's such a great question. I wish I had clear answers for some of the differences that we've seen in polling cycles. You know, as, as I gave a lot of talks this year and they said, well, you know, you're off on in, in 2020, you're off in 2016, a lot of people didn't talk about 2018 which was a midterm cycle in Pennsylvania, um, where our polls looked pretty much like they did last night, uh, very accurate, if you will, and reflecting the final outcomes. Um, the one big difference is we'll, we'll talk, I could talk some of the methodological differences, the tweaks that we're always doing based on, on challenges and changing uh, methods. But the big difference was Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot. And so we had two our two examples, 2016 and 2020, where we understated Republican support, uh, were largely those years when, when Trump was there. Um, huh. And I don't want to use that as an excuse to say there's some tr- kind of Trump caveat that affects polling. But at least for us, and at least in Pennsylvania, we've seen that. And so last night behaved more like a traditional midterm in how we modeled it, how we looked at it. We did some waiting, uh, slightly different weighting than we did, did in the past. But it was not dramatically different. The big difference, I think, is, is for some reason the Trump effect, quote, unquote, wasn't in play.
0: That's interesting. I'm going to have to mull that. So basically you're saying the people who um, knew that voting for Trump was a bad idea but they were going to do it anyway, they didn't want to tell anybody? Is it? Is it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. The there might be a
1: little bit of that silent effect. I think what – and it's hard. Again, we've done a lot of autopsies as a profession, a field. It comes down to sometimes, Alan, that we're concerned about non-response, that we're, the people that really weren't responding uh, were truly there for Trump, uh, and that, that even in a night like last night, we might have people that voted for Trump, but this ilk, a group that, that maybe is just kind of Trump voter, not, not a Republican voter, not a Trump voter, that our non-response rates for that particular group— uh, were just just high and and affected our estimates in the in the polling. And that's that's not. A, I don't have a definitive answer on that. It's going to take more time. But I'm I'm suspect. I suspect that might be the cause. So there is one exception.
0: What happened to the red wave?
1: <laughs> yeah, this actually a national. This is good, really good stories. And some of it. There's a little bit of a polling story here. Uh, we do see a proliferation of pollsters that are. We call them Republican pollsters. They're Democratic pollsters, partisan pollsters, partisan-leaning pollsters. And there's a lot more of them than there used to be. And there was a group of of Republican partisan pollsters that that I think were a little bit more uh, bullish on Republican candidates this cycle. And, and you know historically this should be a good cycle for Republicans. But there's counterfactors. Every, you know, just one cycle, every cycle has its own unique features, Alan. And this cycle had some very unique features. The two biggest ones that I'll point to, and I talked about on talks all fall, that made it a little different. First was abortion. Right. We, and people were downplaying that, I think, too much as we headed to the election, saying it had peaked. It wasn't a big issue. That was is my opinion. It, 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 it wasn't maybe as big as inflation, but that doesn't mean it was off the table. It had energized voters, it changed the energy trajectory of this race, it gave Democrats a reason. Lots of reason, including younger voters, to engage in this cycle, and that's pivotal, pivotal in, in, in a lot of close races, nudging them in the in the de- Democratic uh, direction. So that's one factor. It, it just and that's historic. When do we see outliers? When historic things happen, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, historic. Yeah. The other one was the presence of Donald Trump. We've never had in a midterm, maybe back you mentioned the turn of the century and and Teddy Roosevelt hanging around after he did his time in in Washington and trying to get back. Donald Trump was in this cycle as prominent in many ways as Joe Biden. We might have had a referendum on two presidents happening at the same time, Mm. which we just don't see. There's think about, you know, in our lifetime, did you ever have a former president hanging around you know in a midterm election after? There's nothing like that. And so Trump's presence complicated the dynamic, abortion complicated the dynamic, and in many ways mitigated a what could have been a more traditional wave election for Republicans and cut into what their success was last night. They've had, they had some success. They'll probably end up taking the House, but not by the margins that you might expect given some of the other salience of issues like inflation and historic patterns.
0: I think I've asked you this question every time I... I've, I've seen you over the last 20 years or so, but if polling has its flaws, how, how do you know to correct those? How do you even go about Because that means you've got to know something. So if you know it, then why do you do the – you know, so I, I just never understood that.
1: It, it's a great question. I love that. And keep repeating it because it's it's hard to answer in, in some ways. You don't necessarily know. So we as a field, right? I'm, I'm part of this group called the American Association of Public Opinion Researchers. Sounds pretty damn boring. Sounds pretty academic. <laughs> I mean, very yeah, academic. So. Uh, and, I'll and, cut that class. And this is like pollsters all across, academic media pollsters public opinion researchers, scholars, that we, we try to figure out how to measure public attitudes, beliefs, behaviors, and the methods that do it. And so after any election cycle, this group usually does an autopsy to say, well, what went wrong, right, what went wrong, and try to identify things. And often it's it's inconclusive, right? It's It's, it's easy. It would be easy, Alan, if we said, ah, there it was. That's yeah. the one thing. Like in 2016, we kind of thought it was how we waited for educational attainment in our models, uh, and we adjusted for that. By the way, between 2016 and 2018 and 2020, and it helped a little bit, but not didn't fix some of the problems we talked about. So you go back and you look at it. This is you know, even though we had a really successful cycle. I'm concerned about our methods and as we head into 2024 and what we might change and not change. And there, there's so many pressures on the, on the field right now and how we do this and how we have to accommodate for changing technologies and patterns and partisanship. So the answer is we don't always know. I, and I don't know. I don't know exactly what we'll have to change and what w- went right. We might have got a little bit lucky last night. I'm, I'm really proud of our methods and the way we approach it. And look at our record over time, I always tell people. Don't judge by one mm-hmm. cycle. Look, we've been doing this 20 That's years.
0: That's they tell us on the stock market. I and mean, I lost a lot of money in the last six months. Just so you know. Buy
1: and hold, Alan. Buy and hold.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the youngest voters, your students. They're a fairly large cohort. Especially if you add the generation in front, of, you know, before them, they seem to be pretty activists. I mean, the whole woke thing is—I've got to agree with you know some of the people on our on the left that have said it's a woke thing has just gotten on gone too far. But um, they seem to be pretty activists. They—they seem to be pretty liberal to left, and but it, they don't seem to be making a difference. And, and and I think I have an explanation for it, but I'm wondering if you have one. Because yeah. you're talking
1: to these kids every day, I talk to them every day, and they they stay young, and I get old, and uh, <laughs> it's an interesting relationship. No, maybe
0: it's they're because they're, so, yeah.
1: <laughs> but they are they're a fascinating group. First of all, I'm I'm intrigued by this generation and uh, their politics and their worldviews and their engagement and where they where they're in. and and I think, as just you said, do do they maybe their impact is not always felt. I think it was felt this cycle, and again, that we're talking a few hours after. Election Day, and I don't have all the details on the demographics. The exit polls really haven't looked in there, but I think as you look at 2022 as a cycle, I think engagement by younger voters was pretty impactful, Alan. I think we'll see in places like Pennsylvania, and some of it's been drawn in by by the abortion issue, the reproductive rights issues. Uh, We saw that this summer in terms of new registrants coming in, being overwhelmingly. Uh, identifying as, as female, I, I think their impact was pretty interesting in the cycle. And those issues, right, what drove them? Clearly reproductive rights. But if you look at polling of that group, climate change, equity issues, uh, those things. The biggest issue, by the way, at least uh, Harvard did some polling on this among the, that generation. The issue was the same as, as a lot of Americans. Inflation was the single, single biggest issue for that group, surprisingly. But the next tier of issues was very different than what other Americans had said.
0: My knowledge is purely uh, incidental it's 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 just but but what I've seen is a generation that's mad as hell as well they should be if I was younger hell I'm mad and i'm not you know but um you know the climate change their, their parents and grandparents are living in a mess of a world, but they they get mad quickly and they bail quickly, you know so they didn't get Bernie Sanders, I quit or Joe Biden hasn't done enough on this issue I quit, and so you know and i don't see I don't hear the the discussion about that cohort or anything so but you you think that there there's reason for us to be helpful with
1: this generation yeah i think i think I think some of the concerns you have or there, there's some evidence right about you know for example, you know with Biden, the lack of of maybe support among younger voters his his approval ratings are pretty low among that that group and and you might say, well. Hey, look! Look at some of his policy accomplishments. Look at climate change. Look at other issues. That that their their reasons for bailing might, given their policy preferences, not align very very nicely. And and you question, well, what's leading that? Is this part of this on demand? culture right that if hey I didn't get it everything I want I'm out yeah. and, and and I don't I don't know I mean that's fair that's actually a good discussion to, to have um and and do you mentioned kind of are there points where the politics might might veer off in a way that that pushes some other potential allies uh, away okay. yeah. I think th- those are all fair fair critiques but on a whole and you're right by the way one more thing that you're right on they have lots of reasons to be mad. Older generations have left them with some messes that they're, they they got to deal with, um, and so maybe there's a little bit of bitterness. There's a, there's some angst there for certain that that doesn't always align perfectly with politics. Alan, in that they see politics as an e, uh, important avenue. Hey, I'm going to help out. I'm going to work in these services to to people. I'll be engaged, but I don't want to engage always in politics, and that sometimes troubles me.
0: Rally around the flag. You and I both know that phrase. When a country is in trouble internationally, everybody wants to support the country. And they come together. They overlook some of their other divisions and so on. An underreported story is coming out of Ukraine that some key decisions by President Biden and some remarkable coaching by senior American military brass has played a, a significant role in the rather miraculous successes of the Ukrainian defense apparatus. Why isn't President Biden getting the political benefits he should have coming?
1: Another really great question, and I think I've read those similar pieces in the analysis, and I think that story is pretty powerful, right? I mean, as you look at strategic, not just kind of this broader humanitarian worldview, yeah, yeah. strategic, right? Strategic success. You know, you have an adversary in in Russia, in many ways, that has been countered in an extraordinary manner of course, by the you know courageous actions of Ukrainians, but with an enormous assist from the United States, other allies, both military, strategic, intelligence-wise, that has led to the outcomes that, that we've seen. And um, I think it's, as we'll look back on this whole you know period, uh, as an enormous story. So I'm glad you called attention to that. And that raises the question, as she said, well, why isn't Biden getting that the you know accolades for this, or the the rewards, if you will, in terms of public opinion. One is salience. Uh, you know, Alan, we talk as political scientists, public opinion research. How important are issues to folks? And while it, the Ukraine certainly has some public attention and importance, it pales, right? When we ask people what the most important issues, is, that won't come up. Inflation will come up. Crime will come up. Reproductive rights will come up. Education will come up. And foreign affairs right now is really, really low, and in the particulars of of the Ukraine. So Americans maybe just don't think about that topic as much. And if they're not thinking about it, rewarding the president seems less likely.
0: So there's a madman in the Kremlin who's got his finger on a button— And that's not good (laughs) enough—the complete destruction of the world in a matter of minutes does not freak people out. I
1: I think you make a a, a pretty powerful case that this should be more salient, uh, but how people process things on their daily lives often— Gets pushed to the blackboard. Or do people wake up thinking about Vladimir Putin? Like your your case says, well, maybe they should. But the reality is, they probably think about well, how much did that order of food at the store cost today, and that's on their mind more, at well, least be, at this point. Between
0: part. climate change and Ukraine, we are so dangerously close to just international oblivion. It just
1: it just doesn't seem to be getting the the attention it needs to get. I'll just jump in on that. You know. Back to the, the Biden record, if you will. I, I, I'm truly, i truly—I study, yes, you know, climate attitudes, climate opinion. I've done it for 20 years. It's my research area. And Americans, you know, have, have increasingly saw this as a problem, wanted action— what you got out of the Biden administration was the biggest, most significant climate legislation far and away in American history. That. And there's the big question. Do people know it? Do they yeah, think about it? And the same with the Ukraine. So on those two issues, if you think they are major concerns, I think the Biden administration has a case to make that they've, they've done quite a bit.
0: Should he run again from a polling perspective? If, if you were the president, and you had his numbers. What would you do with that?
1: It's 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 fascinating. We've seen presidents. In fact, we've seen you know Barack Obama have, have not much better numbers and get trounced in the 2010 elections, bounce back and win handily in, in 20, uh, or, excuse me uh, 2012. 2012. Um, right. And and so yeah, we've seen this, but they're in different places, right? Age wise, generation, the, the situation, polling numbers don't look good. We looked. I looked at the exit pollings yesterday. You know, most—even people that have favorable views, some people that have favorable views personally or even approve of some parts of the Biden administration are not uh, supportive of him running again. He's, you know, he's going to be in his 80s. I think there's concern about his ability to do this. I think his question—and this is fascinating to think about, Alan—does he see—I think in his mind, he wants to make sure Democrats win this election. He thinks it's incredibly important— and I think he's thinking this is his legacy. Is his best legacy to run? Is he the best person to do it? Uh, or stepping aside will open up the doors for Democrats to hold that seat? And so there's, it's going to be the, the talk of the town now for a while.
0: We, real quickly, we only have a few. You know, not, I don't think we even have a minute left. But uh, Adam Kinsinger and Liz Cheney and standing up and saying, I'm not going to take this anymore. What are Republicans like them doing? Are they getting out? Are they not voting? Are they Are they— Moving to the Democratic Party?
1: Where are they? Yeah, it's good. Like, as candidates, I don't know where their their future is in the Republican Party. I think last night you saw individuals that align with them in places like Pennsylvania— that maybe they can't win a Republican primary. I think those are the types of candidates that could very well win statewide races. But the challenge is, how do you get through a primary in, in today's Republican Party? Enough voters, by the way. There were voters last night that cast you know ballots for other Republicans throughout the state and didn't vote for the Doug Mastrianos mm. of this world. Uh, and that group is, what role, they, where do they step up, where do they play in Republican politics will be fascinating to look at here and around the country.
0: Chris Bork, always an insightful uh, part of my program. I appreciate you being here, Chris, and uh, good luck with those uh, youngsters you're, that you're working with. It's, it's always
1: such a pleasure, Alan. I enjoy this very, very much. Thanks for being my friend.
0: You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I am your host, Alan Jennings. We just were talking with Chris Bork, political science professor at Muhlenberg College and pollster extraordinaire. Um, next up, my final thoughts, stick around. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect those of WDIY, its affiliates, staff, members, and volunteers. Welcome back. You're listening to The Jennings Report on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings, and these are my final thoughts. The American election. What a spectacle. I'm glad it's over. They're getting uglier every year. Who would have thought that an American president would attempt a coup using his own private militia as the muscle? Innocent people died. How could it be such a minor minor factor in this election? Much of the tactics deployed struck me as comparable to an adolescent temper tantrum, especially the mailers. The messages are simple, the images are graphic, the facts misrepresented, the amount of money spent, well, it's frankly obscene. Then you have issue development. Give the GOP credit. They know how to find our buttons to push. They know how to simplify the message almost to the point of insulting our intelligence. They know the language to use. They're also very good at making their opponents look like child molesters by doctoring their photos. They make up issues that weren't even on the discussion table. Parenthetically, this year it was crime. And they impose impressive discipline in the ranks. You'd expect someone to be honest about inflation uh, within their ranks, but not to be. I think the whole campaign process needs to be relegated to history's proverbial dustbin in favor of a new approach. Here's how I think it should be done. First, we need to agree to have public funding of campaigns. And that funding should be a fraction, a tiny fraction of what is now being spent. A formula can be developed that would serve as guidelines for how to set that limit. Television and radio ads should be free. That's right, don't adjust your radio dial. I said free. Here's the rationale. The product they offer is content on the airwaves. The airwaves are part of what we would put into a business plan as the cost of goods sold, and they don't have to pay a nickel for those that cost of goods sold. So they get the airwaves that through which they reach us and with their messages for nothing. That ought to be the opening for us to say, you know what? In exchange for that, we're gonna we want some free advertising at, during elections so that we can keep the uh, the political process open, and available to all. The ads should be restrictive, all black and white, so they are easily distinguishable on television. Only the candidate can appear and must speak directly to the camera. There can be no other distractions, no color, no music, no graphics, no other speakers, just the raw, real, live person in front of you. A candidate would be required, and this one, given Donald Trump's legacy of the lie, is a big one, to tell the truth. There'd be a panel appointed, chosen by the two candidates and agreed upon, that would be the arbiters of what is actually the truth. The candidates should also be required to debate. This system would be more honest, more civil, and much cheaper. Honest, civil, and cheap, now that's radical. The best way to get all this to stop is on you. That's right, you have to stop the rewarding of behavior. Don't vote for those candidates. If you can't bear to vote for the opponent, just vote for neither. It will still send a message. Reasonable people, moderates, liberals, and honest conservatives have got to prevail. Democracy must be protected. Autocracy rejected. Boy, do we have work to do. Those are my final thoughts. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. This is the Jennings Report on WDIY. Hope you come back next time.